Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of Unspoken Roads. We have a wonderful guest with us, uh, who is a founder, consultant, and managing partner for the Gilbertson Group, Greg. Uh, he's a human capitalist turned full-time consultant, entrepreneur, speaker, author, and business leader. He's passionate about navigating complex solutions for professional teams and the clients he serves in his consulting. Greg, welcome to Unspoken Roads. We are very, very happy to have you with us. The platform is now open for you to you know, share your journey with us. Great. Well, thank you for having me and thank you for the wonderful introduction, Sindhu. I, I appreciate that. And thank you to your audience and everybody to have me on today. I'm excited to talk a little bit about that journey. Um, you know, I'm uh, as you mentioned, I'm an HR consultant now. However, certainly not how I started. Isn't it, isn't it funny that we all have these dreams and aspirations and somehow we end up in our passion that we've manifested? but it wasn't necessarily the traditional path. I think we all can share that in common. So I actually started with a company, uh, which is near and dear to my heart called Lifetime. And uh, Lifetime is um, a large fitness and resort uh, style um, product uh, called the Healthy Way of Life Company here in the United States and Canada. And I started as a part-time employee you know, uh, in, in college, trying to earn some extra money as we all uh, went through and navigated uh, a college experience. Um, in my world, I ended up leaving college, became an emergency medical technician. Um, and a friend of mine worked at this place called Lifetime and asked if I'd come work as a lifeguard to get a free gym membership. I said, why not? That was appealing to me. So I uh, became a lifeguard. And then uh, what you see professionally is um, I then went into selling uh, sales, never sold anything. In fact, I did extremely horrible at it when I first started selling memberships because I worked for a hundred percent commission. So there was no salary or anything back then, but I got some great leaders and I learned. Um, and so I learned a lot through failure and that's a common theme. Um, but then I uh, was successful and became a sales manager, moved around the United States in different areas as the company was expanding and then um, became a um, sales leader, a manager. Uh, I can't believe I, I was so young managing people, but had the right tools from the organization of Lifetime to set me up for success, which was amazing. And that led me to uh, all these great opportunities. So I built education nationally for sales and aquatics. And that was my first HR experience. I was on the learning and adult learning side. And that was my first exposure to human resources. And was an amazing experience. Um, learned so much. Loved the team I was working with. Um, and um, believe it or not, it was a culture shock. I be, got that uh, role because I was 20. I, I was very young, 21. I was the youngest in the corporate office. In fact, my first meeting, I remember so vividly because it was on the uh, whiteboard in the conference room. All of us had that uh, business unit for education. We're talking about the future problems. If you can imagine was, how are we going to work with millennials at that time? Now look at COVID. That was our problem as a company is, hey, 75%, my first day, 75% uh, of our employees are going to be millennials. So we got to work how to, how to learn with, work with them. Well, I'm a millennial and everyone else on my team is above 40 years of age, which, uh, you know, was quite uh, interesting. And then you fast forward now, and the things we talk about in HR are nowhere near those uh, what they thought were complex back then, right? So 
did that. And then I became a manager of business development. I'd actually go out to other companies and engage them in the brand of Lifetime. I loved uh, doing that and helping companies because here in the United States, our healthcare is tied to your employer. So we would go in and teach employers how to make their populations healthier. Um, so inadvertently lowering their healthcare cost uh, because they're living healthy way of lives. So I love doing that. And then I moved from that role, which really taught me business and taught me how to read a PL and the business development and have that business acumen. And I inter worked a lot at the corporate office with HR. It's an HR role, uh, benefits and those things. And then I decided to become at Lifetime, which is a coveted position. All positions are coveted these days, but then it was considered you made it if you became a general manager, because a general manager of one of our, uh, and I say our, but one of their clubs um, is a leader of 500 people. So I went, I moved to Kansas where I am today, and that's in the middle of nowhere United States, <laughs> but we love it. I met my wife and we have a beautiful daughter and then COVID hit in March, obviously of 2020. Don't know if you've ever heard of it, um, but it's this new thing. I'm kidding, of course. Um, that was a challenging time for all companies to navigate the whole world to I, always, I loved a quote I saw, I don't know who said it, but right when COVID hit and the country shut down and things were not as clear as they could have been or it could be today, um, I um, immediately went to solutions mode. How can I help this company I love so much, Lifetime? And I remember seeing that quote, it said, we're all in the same storm, just different boats. And that really made it impactful because you can imagine, I was retained, not furloughed, which I'm very blessed for. But that's what led me to then I said, I'm going to go to solutions. I don't know what's going to happen. No one did. So I actually went to back to school to learn human resources and formality, even though I had already been in roles, because I really was passionate about that. So I uh, became uh, human resources and then inadvertently um, Lifetime uh, promoted me from there um, to the national manager of human resources for the company as we reopened. And I oversaw the United States and Canada from human resources information systems. And then family life set in very quickly. We just had a newborn and um, we were up in very cold Minnesota. It's a wonderful state, but extremely cold. And my wife's Brazilian originally. So I should have known early on it wasn't going to work as far as like where we were living. And so then uh, to make a long story even shorter, it's been quite a journey. But then I had my HR consulting license and made the tough choice, which was extremely tough for me, given uh, the value that that company not only has on millions of lives in their health each year, but certainly in my life professionally. And then I left and resigned so me and my wife could move back to Kansas, uh, where her support system and my support system was. And then I became the national director of HR and workplace strategy for a healthcare company here. And that expanded my uh, HR uh, knowledge even further. Uh, by managing all the 15 sciences of HR. Uh, and uh, my biggest, uh, I was a chief compliance officer as well. So compliance, no one likes the compliance guy, but I promise I'm very fun. Uh, <laughs> but there's certain rules and regulations, as we all know. And then, you know, I decided in November, because I started consulting on the side and doing one-time HR projects, helping companies build their employee benefits packet. I'm passionate around brand and how HR folds into the brand and not that we're this the police officers, which is only one thing of what we do in employee relations. 
but positioning um, us to always be aligned uh, in the HR community at large as well, I love being a part of that community, is that people strategy always aligns with business strategy and they should never really differ. Otherwise it creates discontent and um, bad communication in any organizational size. And so I've always had this vision, Sindhu, of creating a firm that I could bring a one-stop shop and solve small business problems because frankly, in the economic headwinds people facing today all over the world, there's not a lot of room for dollars to be allocated to non-revenue driving departments as you've seen in layoffs and so on. And so it forces communities and people to think differently. And so I'm always kind of an out-of-box thinker. I have plenty of opportunity as we all do. But that shows me to uh, create the Gilbertson Group. And it was one line that I wrote. And there's a lot of things we see in HR, good, bad. We celebrate the wins with our people. We're kind of the, in my opinion, being from the business side and now on the HR side, the unspoken heroes. And we're up all the time during these time periods. Now we're talking about hiring in the masses or, or laying off or the, the narratives we've seen happen in the media. So I started the firm and under one line is that we're here to bring a voice to a voiceless professional. That means anything from marginalized groups to people experiencing things with HR what they don't understand, et cetera, et cetera, helping them prepare for their careers and career documentation and LinkedIn's, um, all the way to companies. We help large companies. I uh, found a niche with that going in and partnering with them on how to create C-level suite cohesion through all this turmoil and making sure cultures are sustained. And then on the other side, you have the business. So I love helping solopreneurs and entrepreneurs where I can put my business mindset on and help them formu formulate businesses up front the right way, help them grow and be a guide and a coach to them. And that's what's led to the Gilbertson Group. And then finally is to turn workplace pain into power. Unfortunately, unfortunately, there's this, um, there's this narrative that's always happened because rightfully so that corporate America is this hardcore driven culture. And that absolutely is the case. And we're facing things like burnout and the stats are there, right? But more importantly, I feel like I have a small piece in the role of if I'm working with a client or I'm working with an organization or a small business, that I'm gonna go in there with the mindset to help them solve what problem they may not know they have, but also help them solve the problem they bring to my um, my firm. And so that's a little bit about my career journey. And I love be working for myself, um, who doesn't, but I love the impact me and my team make together. So that's a little long winded, but that's the journey. That's how I got here. Wonderful. I think that is quite a journey, Greg, and I'm so, so uh, inspired uh, by knowing how you actually shifted from business side to HR side. And I think that is the best thing one can do um, because uh, being in HR, uh, you know, it requires uh, some kind of knowledge in business also, because you really need to understand the business to, you know, deliver the best HR practices in the organization. And I really liked um, uh, the tagline, which you use that, you know, voice to a voiceless professional. And I would definitely like to know more about it. But maybe, mm -hmm. you know, uh, maybe in a separate podcast today, we would definitely, you know, like to understand your views on moonlighting, because that is 
something which is prevalent and it is increasing day by day and people have different views about it so what do you think about moonlighting greg yeah it's an it's a great question and certainly uh, one that i'm happy to provide my opinion on i would start with um, the term moonlighting and the moonlighting it traditionally from my understanding is a term where hey i work full time and i may moonlight on the side to earn extra income is literally the the definition um and there's controversy around it and i've been in boardrooms where there's controversy around it where um, you have uh, different employee classifications, and I won't go down that rabbit hole, but one of them in the United States is you're a W-2 employee, which means that the employer who pays you provides insurance benefits and um, different tangible total rewards, and including compensation, should have, uh, under that definition, control. And then you have the employee perspective that um, many say that say, well, Yes, but I, I, I do work for you and I do get everything done uh, that I'm supposed to and, and exceed and meet my expectations. So why, especially in the economy in which it is today, I have these skills that I can transpose maybe into a moonlighting position or a different position and earn the income I need. Because at the end of the day, the employer is so restricted, especially now, and in uh, giving raises, increases, the things uh, organizations um, may or may not have, depending on which organization, um, have at the forefront of their mind. So it forces almost this natural, as a workplace behavioralist as well, it forces this natural behavior of, I'm not getting compensated to the rate in which my expenses are increasing. So as a family, per, if you family, single, um, responsibilities are none of the employer's concern, in my opinion, but if you wanted to make on, uh, money on the in income on the side, not only because maybe you need it or you want it or you want to start investing or maybe things have happened, the pandemics caused different mindset changes. I think the term moonlighting is a negative term. I think it takes away from what it actually is and it's people maximizing their opportunity to be successful financially. However, the where I see it becoming a challenge is not necessarily it exists but when it disrupts their current work or their current performance that the employer um, has expectations for. And moonlighting is also an easy thing to blame, but as somebody who's been on both the business and HR side, that's a macro explanation. Microly, when you're talking to someone one-on-one, -on -one, it's very rare in my experience, which is limited, but my experience, that the employee is underperforming because of a moonlighting type of experience. They're usually underperforming because they're burnt out or they're stressed or they made poor choices or the employer didn't provide the right tools. I like to take the optimist point of view and give people the benefit of the doubt. And moonlighting is now prevalent more than ever, but I think employees or anybody that is doing moonlighting and again, I hate the term, so we might have to come up with something else in the media, you know, because we have that much power, right, Sindhu? I'm just kidding. <laughs> but is um, it's been around for a long time. Police officers have done it when they moonlight at NFL games or sports events and those types of things. It's just the employer, uh, meaning the C-level executives, the folks that make the decisions along with their mid-level management, don't understand. And they, I, in my opinion, I would challenge anyone with it as an optimist, is that 
they don't understand that that's not the problem. It's a distraction. What's the problem is really usually um, almost 100% of the time internally at the company. And that's been proven before moonlighting came in, right? I'm leaving because I have a bad leader. That's usually always number one. Pandemic didn't affect that. I'm leaving because of my compensation. What if, what if moonlighting helped them? What if you were me on the business side and you weren't sure about HR, but let me just go in and pick up a couple projects and see if it's something I'm passionate about. I think there needs to be more of those experiences. So um, to answer your question, number one, uh, the word moonlighting is uh, definitely existing across the globe. I think that we have forced this macroly through our behavior um, as an economy and the choices we either had to make or didn't make or the debates that go along with that. But I think people need to have a healthy outlet to make additional income. And all that it does for HR folk like myself, um, and if you look at it this way, all that it does is give them additional skills that can only benefit your organization if you're truly taking care of your people. Yeah, that's true. Uh, but I think, you know, the counter question which I have from the organization and I've spoken to many people regarding the moonlighting and most mm -hmm. of the leaders, you know, they talk about that it becomes a habit. It doesn't stop there wherein you are, you are just exploring that, you know, whether you like this this kind of project or that kind of project or the work which you're doing you know just to explore that you know which type of work do you like rather mm -hmm. it becomes a becomes a habit of uh you know moonlighting and earning more definitely you, you have touched something about that you know of course when the companies are not paying well or the employees are not being paid well then they try to you know do the moonlighting but apart from that from the company's perspective they say that, you know, we have hired those employees for our work, but because of moonlighting, there is fatigue, which, you know, they have come across that people get tired when they actually come to office to work for them. Uh, then the hours also get impacted because they are tired and they have, they worked, you know, after their office hours, um, then their office hours get impacted. Then there is distraction, which you spoke about. Uh, yeah. that, you know, uh, employees, they get distracted while working uh, for the organization. Uh, and then there is conflict of interest as well, that, you know, in some cases, the employees, um, you know, um, the second job could be a conflict of interest for, for, for their uh, respective company. So mm -hmm. that is, these are few of the arguments which the companies are presenting. So do you, do yeah. you, do you think that, you know, these are good arguments to have and uh, moonlighting should be stopped? I do think there are fair arguments to have in some context. No, I don't think moonlighting should stop because I don't think a policy, as, as long as I've been in compliance and com policy creation, uh, as you know, being an HR uh, practitioner, um, just because of there's a policy that exists doesn't stop the behavior. You know, that's the first thing as a behavioralist, right? But secondly is I do agree with their um, concerns, fatigue and um, burnout. And there's employees that are already burnt out. And that's because they're, look, in my opinion, there's one reason and that's for additional income. But there's also other companies that have already done this without it being labeled. Think about Google for a second. Google actually breaks up their teams and to say, please take the next week to work on a project that you're passionate about. And it's not their core work. So companies have been innovating. And by the way, 
in that particular scope, Google's created some of their fast, most fascinating products by let it, allowing their employees to work on something different. So there's always an opposing view, which is okay. And I agree from an HR standpoint that if it is affecting the core responsibilities of that particular employee, then it should be addressed individually with their performance. But not everyone that works on passion projects or inside of a company that has those practices are experiencing all those symptoms. So I would be, uh, in my professional opinion, would say these are teams and one-off basis, but to macroly put a moonlight policy in place in some ways would be very illegal. It, it would be uh, very illegal to do so um, to say you can't earn any income outside of these parameters. Um, a company doesn't have that much control, but the employee should be self-aware or done, done enough research to know that things like conflict of interest are terminable offenses. If you're an HR executive for um, lifetime fitness, like um, I was an HR manager for them, and you're moonlighting as a fractional CHRO for our competitor Equinox, that's a terminable offense because you have proprietary information. So I would suggest employers induce policies upfront with offer letters, et cetera, you know, inside of contracts in different countries um, in, in global HR law and employment law. But more importantly, set the expectations up front that, hey, we know these things might happen. Here's where it will become a problem for us as an employer. And we want to make you aware of that up front, as opposed to trying to manage an organizational culture. And I think in my mind, I'm thinking 40,000 employees. That's what we had at Lifetime to where I've had companies with 200 employees, much different level of control. But I think the arguments fair from executives. But I also think that there needs to be a transition at that level, and I coach to this, but there needs to be a transition at that level to say the control is moving back towards the employer because of the restriction of the pandemic. But I don't think it needs to be that. I just think it, transparent cultures that are honest, that don't take impact um, on the business are where it's addressed, not in a blanket policy that, by the way, will likely fall on deaf ears and the behavior will continue. So you have you have those arguments on both sides. And then I would say um, on the flip side of things that um, it's just uh, not where it's always been happening. It just has a label to it. And I would challenge organizations to focus less on moonlighting and trying to control the employee because almost always it never works. Really what happens is that the employee is doing their passion and they're just like, you know what, I'm just going to leave. I'm just going to jump ship and do it full time anyway. And the employer lost anyway. So it's like you lost your, <laughs> you lost anyway by trying to force control. Humans aren't designed to be control, especially in the work environment. And that's really the global initiative that you're seeing is people are going, wow, uh, maybe it's the pandemic. Maybe it's different paradigms that are happening in their life, but they're saying, I'm going to do things with the life that I have, where work is now, especially in the United States, uh, my wife, like I mentioned, is Brazilian. Um, it's very interesting down there. Uh, when I'm in Brazil, no one ever asks me what I do. But in the United States, it's one of the first three questions. It's, it's a part of people's identity. So I think people are waking up to the point where it's not necessarily my work ethic. It's not the five generations in the workforce for the first time. It's that people all the way up to the CEO are now valuing and reprioritizing the work they want to do, not because of compensation, but because they actually care to get out of bed to do it every day. 
And so I think it's a movement, but a little bit, I know that's a little bit further than moonlighting, but moonlighting's always been there. Um, you're right, those opposing arguments are very fair, but then it's, I would challenge the organizations to say, well, what happened, put moonlighting aside, if you were a CEO, Sindhu, as you are, and, and an owner, and I was talking to you and consulting to you, I said, let's put that aside for a second. Let's go through, if you did surveys, let's go through your last year. It looks like this has always been a problem. So why is moonlighting this um, the problem when it actually is internally at the company? What are we doing to solve things internally at the company to get people to want to stay to maybe not want to moonlight as opposed to forcing them into a policy? You have to think about how you want to change their behavior because it's usually not met well. Can you imagine sending a moonlighting policy to 40,000 employees saying you can't work extra, you're going to be terminated? How fast that narrative would change, even though it's a conversation that needs to be had, but it's not the problem. It's uh, it's maybe a symptom, a symptom, if you will, of the problem, but it's usually not the problem. If a company has a bunch of moonlighting happening and that's their business problem, um, they definitely have a cultural problem. <laughs> so I can always kind of tie it back to that. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think in uh, my opinion also, because moonlighting was always there. It's just that, you know, uh, people have started speaking about it. You know, employees yeah. are coming uh, in front and they are talking about different kind of projects which they are doing. And few of the companies have taken it with a pinch of salt and few of the companies have accepted it with open arms but few of the companies are still in contemplation you know what is happening this is unethical they they cannot do it because recently a few companies sacked employees on the basis of moonlighting though they gave the reasons that you know the employee wasn't performing well he was not coming on time there were some ethical issues but yes, I have come across companies and the HR heads who have said that, you know, because of moonlighting, we've sacked the employees because they just, the management couldn't um, agree to this thing that they can actually, you know, go for second employment yeah. apart from the primary one. So I'm, um, I just want to know your views. Was it right to sack those employees? Do you think that, you know, it added up um, as, you know, some percentage in the great resignation as well. So do you think are these correlated? I do think they're correlated. I don't think it's the only reason for the, the great resignation, which I've recoined personally, and I um, is the reevaluation, the great reevaluation. Um, the result is people may be resigning, <laughs> but they're reevaluating where they value things. But yes, they're correlated. Um, but to the HR heads, they're into those points. There's multiple reasons why that person, and it's never easy for any HR professional, even if it's your best, your practice within HR to terminate, you definitely want to make sure you have um, all the facts. But it, in most cases, it's a draw, unless you engage with that employee and really ask them, like, are, is your, in really practice empathy upstream of the conversation, not when it's all a water main break, but say, hey, Sindhu, you know, we've been noticing that you're a little bit tired when you're arriving at work, you know, what's going on outside of work, because maybe you're not even moonlighting. And you're just dealing with um, some large uh, life changing issues, because life has to happen 
uh, throughout our lifetime, right? And it sometimes comes into work and that's a natural thing. But if you don't ask those questions to the reasons why they let somebody go, they're drawing assumptions based on people's TikToks and social media and all these different things. Now on the flip side, Sindhu, I, uh, there's a TikTok corporate Natalie. She's a consultant in San Francisco and her employee her employer does have a moonlight policy, but then they've capitalized because she has millions of followers in corporate America and so now they've asked her to be an influencer for her. So employers just got to choose. You know, they're like, oh, we hated it at first, but now we like it because you have all these followers and it's bringing attention to the company. But more importantly, we got to figure out why that employee is underperforming. If it's truly moonlighting, then the employer um, doesn't need the moonlighting policy to take action. They just need to take action on the behaviors they're observing and not assume things are happening because a passion project could also be, this is what makes me happy when things are really stressful at home. You just don't know until you ask the right questions. It's also on the employee to share and be open-minded about that. Um, but I do think they're correlated within the great resignation because, back to my earlier point, I think people um, in that term, great resignation, and the resi resignations are still happening, uh, obviously forced layoffs and reduce in workforce and different decisions businesses are making. But yes, they're absolutely correlated because people are waking up and they're saying, okay, wow, we have this virtual world. Um, I don't have to have this big corporate office, which I never thought I would even have the wherewithal to know. I have skills. How do I now apply them and work for myself? And I don't think that's an American dream. I think that's a human dream. And how do I make this work? And uh, usually, in, again, I would challenge anyone to this, companies, management, small businesses, the best products are created through pain points and trauma. So I love giving a voice to the voiceless professional and turning workplace pain into power because I actually experienced those things and have watched marginalized groups be silenced in the workplace and watch those things. So I birthed a firm, if you will, out of it to help people solve that problem because that's what makes me tick. Then you have every time you anybody wants to be a manager, when I'm interviewing them, and I've interviewed thousands of people, as you can imagine, over a career so far, is that I want to help people. Well, what does that mean? What experience specifically did you have with one of your managers that made you want to be a manager? Every single time, it's almost a negative experience. It's never like, I worked for this prolific leader who inspired me to want to be a leader. It was, I was abused in the workplace, and I just wanted to be a better manager for the people that would be under my care. That's not always true. But most of the time, that's that's how I experience. So they're absolutely correlated. The employer can continue to force um, these types of policies. And I know it's a debate globally, not just nationally, but you're still going to see that play into resignations, whether people start their own businesses or whether their great reevaluation takes their skills and their personal values and find a company that aligns with. And um, that's what you're seeing, I think, in my opinion, happening today. Well, that's uh, wonderful to know, uh, Greg. Uh, um, are there any suggestions or uh, last few things you want to, you know, convey to the organization? I mean, the management or to the employees on this particular topic? I think the three points I'll drive home is number one, know that that's actually happening. Moonlighting is a symptom of what could be happening inside of your company. And so 
slow down before you speed up to create what could be an adverse impact and already a tumultuous time for employees. And make sure that you're making decisions as quickly with the most amount of data that you can um, to protect that experience. Then number two, not macroly at the 30,000 foot view, but mid-level managers and people experiencing and all of you, that's the thing that too, is all managers and HR heads and CEOs, everyone's experiencing some form of burnout, regardless of their equity in the company, right? We're all experiencing it. But when you're in those one-on-one sessions with employees or your small team, listen to them and listen to what's really going on. If you're seeing things that are perceptively happening outside of the workplace, don't assume it's moonlighting, really figure that out so you can give them the right, if I'm talking healthcare, the right prescription. Otherwise, you're, you're getting into analysis paralysis and moonlighting may not be what's causing the problem. It, it could be a variety of things, which you have tools uh, with your HR team an emergency action plan, therapy, those types of things that can really help you. So make sure you're using everything at your disposal before you, you assume. And then lastly is if you're the employee, which is the most difficult one right now, and you might be moonlighting or might not, or you might be experiencing things outside of work. If you feel comfortable, please be transparent with your boss. Good communication. I feel like all great employee relationships end, and really all things end between good and bad communication and the lack thereof. So I'm not saying go out there and give them your full business plan for your moonlighting experience. But what I'm saying is, is, hey, here's the things, here's my expectation for work this week. I'm going to meet these expectations for you. Is there anything else that I can do for you? So you're always meeting and exceeding expectations. And ultimately, I finish with take care of yourself first as the main priority. Value yourself more than your, uh, than anything. Because when you take care, and I know those are corporate buzzwords, if you take care of that self-care and your mental health, it kind of goes back to computers for me. If you're a computer, the software drives the hardware. So make sure you take care of your mental health and your self-care so the hardware can drive. And that's your role where you can really excel and you can really excel at both things um, through great communication. So I wrap up with those three and it really touches all three levels. And I hope that provides some encouragement for all of you today. Thank you so much, Greg. I think um, it was a wonderful talk. And um, thank you so much for coming on Unspoken Roads and, you know, throwing light on moonlighting as a concept. (laughs) Yeah, I love the pun. That's perfect. (laughs) That's perfect. And, uh, you know, it was my pleasure, Sindhu, and uh, I appreciate you. And uh, anytime you you need any type of feedback or, you know, these narratives that are going around, please don't hesitate to reach out. And for all your listeners, don't hesitate to reach out to the Gilbertson Group if we can be of any assistance, whether you're a company or you're an individual, we're here to help. And as Sindhu knows, I'm always here to serve. So I hope you guys enjoy the rest of your day. And uh, well, I guess evening for you, Sindhu, it's a day for me over in the United States, but um, you guys enjoy and uh, get some rest. But if you need me, I'm here. Okay. Thank you. Thanks a ton, uh, Greg. Thank you so much. You, 